we should be shocked, uh, amazed, thrilled that he has done all that he has done, namely in Christ and in the gospel, to save even one. And he has done far more than that. Hello, you're listening to the Greek to Me podcast, a daily discovery of the New Testament scriptures one word at a time. We hope today's podcast helps you better understand and appreciate God's word. Hi, it's March 1st, and today's word is eklektos. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, Paul writes, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The word I want to draw here is the word elect. Uh, The word eklektos means elect. It means the chosen ones. As a verb, it is to pick out or to choose. And eklektos literally means called out or to call out. It's the prefix ek, which means out or out from. And the word kletos, which is called or invited or summoned. Here, Paul is describing how his ministry has a sort of target audience who are the elect for whom he endures everything for the sake of them by preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with his life. They are those that we read about in Acts chapter 18. While in Corinth, Jesus, reassuring Paul that he's not going to be attacked or killed, tells him to go on ministering there, saying, I have many in this city who are, quote, my people. And note this, even before Paul had preached to them the gospel, Before they were, in fact, those who had put their faith in Christ, they were, quote, his people. Paul preached to everyone, but this is who Paul was always on the lookout for, waiting, expecting to respond favorably to the gospel message and ministry. Watch how Paul uses these words together in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. And listen for the words, elect and called. Paul writes this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he, that is God, predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him that is with the son graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There he's He's comparing and really drawing a similarity between the called and the elect, those who are foreknown by the Father, predestined to be made into the image of the Son, that he called them and they are his elect. Election of the saved, while it is a clear and consistent theme in the Bible, has unsettled many Christians. If God is sovereign in salvation, they might say, that means that man has no choice in the matter. Well, it's not entirely the case. God is sovereign in salvation, period. Jesus says, for example, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That said, man is not saved apart from the repentance of sin and his or her confession of faith that Jesus is Savior and Lord. There must be repentance and faith. 
God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are both very real. And a way to understand these two so that they don't contradict is maybe this, that God calls out and chooses the sinner by miraculously opening spiritual eyes and softening spiritual hearts to the point where we see our need for a Savior, filling us with his Holy Spirit that gives us a love for him and then subsequently empowers us for ministry. According to Ephesians 2, God is the one that grants us faith. And according to Acts 5 and Acts 11 and 2 Timothy 2 and others, God is the one that grants us repentance of sin. He regenerates. He gives us a new spiritual birth, as he describes in John chapter 3. And by doing so, he calls us to himself, and we're compelled to respond. The truth is, had God not chosen me, I would never have chosen by response him. Romans 3 tells us that there is none that is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. God must act before we act, before we respond. He must initiate for us to know salvation. This is how it has always been. Where has our faith started? Abraham is called the father of our faith, and he was sovereignly chosen by God to know him, to worship him and obey him, and it's been that way ever since. But we can't think about being chosen without, by default, thinking about perhaps those who were not chosen. All of a sudden, God is shaping up to look like a dodgeball team captain, picking the strong and leaving the weak standing sad against the gymnasium wall, wishing that they had been picked. The election can feel, or even sound at first, unfair, until we realize one very important thing. All who reject God and the gospel get exactly what they want a life lived unto themselves, and as a result, they get precisely what they deserve because of their sin. God is perfectly just to allow sin against him, an eternally holy God, to lead to eternal punishment. But he graciously saves some, and we are in no place to demand that he save all. After all, he is the potter, we are the clay. Instead, we should be shocked, amazed, thrilled that he has done all that he has done, namely in Christ and in the gospel, to save even one. And he has done far more than that, hasn't he? Listen to Jesus' own words as he gives us a glimpse at how wide his salvation has gone and how numerous the elect are. In Mark chapter 13, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says this, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of the heaven.